Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Friday, November the 4th, 2022, bright and early in California, rather late in the day in South Africa, uh, where my guest is based. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, did a particularly interesting show, I thought, with the American historian Matthew Delmont, uh, the author of Half American, the epic story of African-Americans fighting World War II. It's a book about the experience of black Americans in World War II. And one of the things, interesting things that Delmont told me was that the black American soldiers were particularly badly treated racist way, of course, by the vast majority of white soldiers uh, in the American army during the Second World War. But the one group who stood out, who were dramatically less racist, uh, were the Jewish American soldiers. Uh, we are focusing on Jewish American soldiers, not in World War II, but in the Civil War, uh, with my guest today, Adam Mendelssohn, uh, teaches uh, history with a focus on the Jewish 19th century experience uh, at the University of Cape Town, lucky man, uh, in South Africa. Uh, he's the editor or author of a number of interesting books on uh, the Jewish experience in 19th century America. He's an editor of a book, Jews in the Civil War, and he has a new book out uh, this month, Jewish Soldiers in the Civil War, uh, the Union Army. Uh, fascinating story, fascinating book. Adam, uh, welcome. Uh, first of all, before we, 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 we focus on um, the Jewish experience in the Civil War, how, how many uh, Jews were there in America during the Civil War? And then how many Jews fought on, on either side? So we, we think that there are around 150,000 Jews in the United States in 1861, uh, the vast majority living in the North, so living in the States, which will then uh, comprise the Union. Uh, these are mostly uh, Jews who had come from Central Europe. They're, they're at the most part, uh, German-speaking, the most part, immigrants who'd arrived in the 1840s and 1850s. So they recently arrived in America. And they're living in, in large cities for the most part, uh, so Chicago and New York, Cincinnati and, and elsewhere. Uh, much, much smaller numbers living in uh, the states which will then form the Confederacy. So uh, a very old Jewish community in a place like Charleston uh, with, a, with a few thousand Jews, perhaps, but um, perhaps 25,000 Jews in, in total in, in the state which comprise the Confederacy. And again, um, most of them would be new arrivals, uh, people who'd, who'd recently immigrated to the United States. Uh, my rather superficial, instinctive interpretation is that the Jews, so to speak, these new immigrants, wouldn't have had much a, of a dog in the, in the Civil War fight, one way or the other. Is that fair for the majority of American Jews? I think probably you're right for the, for the majority. Uh, they, um, they, they have come from... As I said, most of them have come from, from Central Europe and they're, they're recent arrivals and they're trying to establish themselves in the United States. But some of them are uh, political emigres. They, they, um, some, some have left after the failed liberal revolutions of, of 1848 and, and do bring with them 
ideological baggage. They, they become uh, firm supporters of abolition in the United States. But those are, are relatively rare. Uh, more are, are economic migrants and are people trying to establish themselves, uh, trying to root themselves in America. And uh, they, uh, yes, in 1861, particularly uh, in, in the North, they, they are caught up in the enthusiasm around the war but but they but but otherwise um they're um you know they're committed to america they're they're, they're patriotic but uh the the uh, the broader fight uh i think many of them have to be persuaded that that it's 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 one which which matters a great deal to them and i think this is true of many other immigrant groups too yeah i was going to say that i mean so what distinguishes jewish Im uh, jewish uh, immigrants from German or Irish or Italian or, or, or South Slav immigrants who were pouring into the country in the middle of the 19th century? It's a good question. Many of them, as you've as you suggested, are, um, uh, are again, economic immigrants. Uh, they're, they're people trying to um, create lives themselves in the United States, attracted to America by, uh, by the, the prospect of, of land and freedom and opportunity uh, in the United States. Um, and in, in, in that way, uh, many of them also are concerned about the potential disruption to the American political system that they, they obviously America in the 1850s, the period of profound political polarization of instability within uh, American society. Uh, uh, there is a, a major economic recession in America uh, in, in, uh, as well. And, and uh, th they are um, in many cases trying to um, establish themselves. So, so they uh, some of them again are drawn to the the, the particularly radical politics of the time. Um, they do again some of them bring with them previous uh, liberal leanings or progressive leanings, uh, but but others are are uh, really focused on perhaps most of them are focused on on um, on making a living, trying to establish themselves. Uh, again, many of them become very quickly committed to to the United States. That that sense that this is you know they they, they do understand. What America represents and how America is different from uh, from from Europe, uh, but but again, it's it's um, you know, uh, they are uh, they, in many cases troubled by by the prospect of the country they have newly arrived in uh, coming apart at the seams. How do Jews differ from these these other immigrants? Well, they are not so different in many ways from from other uh, immigrants in in that you know, they, they they come from many of the same reasons. Their pattern of dispersion in the United States is somewhat different in that they historically had been involved in, in commerce, particularly petty commerce. They, they're traders, they're merchants. Uh, they are uh, trying to um, earn money by uh, through, through uh, selling things. And many of them uh, will, will disperse across the countryside in America initially as, as peddlers and hawkers, as, as petty traders. And, and this does mean that they, they, they are present uh, uh, almost in, across the entire country in, in 1861. And there are clusters, there are places where we see high concentrations of, of Jews, particularly in, in some larger cities, but also this, this uh, dispersion makes them somewhat different from, uh, from other immigrant groups as well. The fact that they're, 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 they're spread in, in small towns, uh, really chasing opportunity. And they will have implications when the war comes as well. Uh, Adam, uh, a few weeks ago, uh, did a really interesting show with Andrew Mayer. He has a massive new book out on the Morgenthau's power, privilege, and the rise of an American dynasty, a very distinguished uh, American Jewish dynasty of Morgenthau's of bankers. 
I'm, we, we did a show last year on the deep ties between slavery and Wall Street with the writer Jonathan Daniel Wells. Uh, his book, The Kidnapping Club, is pretty interesting. Um, were there? I mean, of course, today there's a kind of anti-Semitic trope that Wall Street is controlled by Jews. Uh, were there many Jewish financiers, Jewish speculators and investors on Wall Street in the middle of the 19th century? Or, or, or is that simply a, a delusion of anti-Semites? So before the war, that would be a delusion. I mean, there are um, some cases. Uh, August Belmont is the most famous. He comes to America as a, rep as a representative of the famous Rothschild banking family and then becomes very involved in democratic politics in the United States and, and uh, is involved in, in speculation, banking and investment prior to the war. But those families we most associate with uh, you know, Jews and, and, and Wall Street and, and investment banks, the Lehman Brothers, um, Goldman Sachs and others, they already, uh, uh, for the most part, uh, they, they ride a wave of opportunity after the war. Um, and there, there are interesting patterns here in terms of their, their pre-war experience, and likewise in terms of how the war transforms their the opportunity available to them. Uh, but um, uh, and, and they, they, again, are distinctive in some ways in that they... they um, they really are pioneers of investment banking in, in the United States, but, but this is not the pattern uh, prior to the war. The, the, the average Jew in America in, in the 1850s is, is uh, um, uh, some, someone involved in uh, petty trade and often the clothing trade or the dry goods business, uh, you know, a storekeeper, a peddler, a hawker. Um, uh, there, there are some more significant Jewish businesses, but rather few uh, prior, prior to the war. And one of my arguments in this book is that the war transforms the economic position of Jews for a variety of reasons, largely relating to happenstance, that they, they are involved in the clothing trade and, and the dry, dry goods business prior to the war. And it turns out this is a good business to be in during the war in particular because the, of the dramatic increase in, in demand uh, for, the, for the outfitting of the Union Army. And, and again, Jews are in the right place at the right time, and it has consequences for many Jews, but also for a handful of Jews who become very, very wealthy, and then, in some cases, trans translate that wealth into into other ventures like banking. Uh, Adam, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the work of uh, Emily Tamkin. She's a journalist and, and writer on the Jewish experience in America. Did a, a show with her uh, last month. Uh, she has a new book out, "Bad Jews," um, and it's a book about the history of American. Jewish politics and identities. Her notion of bad Jews is, of course, meant ironically. In terms of the Jewish experience in the Civil War, can we talk about the good Jews on the Union side, the Union Army, who you focus on in this book, versus the bad Jews who fought, who, who, who fought for or supported the Confederacy? I think it's a, it's too simple a way of, of thinking of, of this, that there are, certainly are some Jews who are undoubtedly good in our in our modern perspective, people who are, who are drawn to the, the union cause uh, for ideological reasons, who are, who are staunch abolitionists, who are... But of course, uh, jumping in here, Adam, yes. the, the war was not just fought over slavery. Even you know, Lincoln was profoundly 
uh, ambivalent on the reasons for the war. It wasn't just about abolition, was it? Absolutely, and that's and precisely that. So I think that the one of the things that my book does demonstrate is that you know, Jews do behave like many, many other Americans at the time, um, white Americans at the time, which is a uh, that they, they, they enlist for a whole variety of reasons. And in some cases, it is economic, that there's an economic crisis which is brought by the war and, and the opportunities which have been available to them dry up, that the Jewish peddlers struggle to make a living, Jewish shopkeepers struggle to make a living. So some, some people enlist uh, for, for that reason. Many of them enlist uh, as unionists as opposed to supporters of abolition, that, again, um, uh, they, they understand the, the virtue and the importance of, of protecting and preserving the union, but are much, much more ambivalent about, about slavery and about this being a war against slavery. And, and in some cases, they, they change their minds. We have very interesting cases of exactly that, that kind. Uh, but here again, they're behaving much like other immigrants, uh, much like um, um, many Germans and, and Irish immigrants who, who again um, uh, will, will come to change their thinking about the war and, and um, uh, sometimes not for the better, uh, certainly who have very ambivalent feelings about the Emancipation Proclamation. And the same is true of of some Jews as well, that they, they believe when the Emancipation Proclamation is issued that this will come at, at a price for, for Jews, um, that, that it means that in a future America that they will lose a, a um, that their position will be under threat because of new rights open to African-Americans. So, so it's a, a complicated picture, and it's a complicated picture in the South as well, in the Confederacy too. There are Jews who are uh, very, very involved um, on behalf of the Confederacy, famously uh, Judah P. Benjamin uh, in the Confederate cabinet, but, but a number of other prominent uh, Jews too, who are true believers and, and who are significant slaveholders too. But then the, the ordinary Jew who enlists, uh, we see a whole variety of, of patterns there too. That, that, that One of those patterns is, is that, that you know, Jews are in some cases committed to, to, to the Confederacy, uh, but, um, uh, but, but then have second thoughts uh, when, they, when they have a sense of how uh, disastrous the war is going by, by 1863, 1864. And we, and we see, again, a whole variety of patterns, those, those who remain deeply committed throughout and, and others who have, have second thoughts. So, so again, you know, very human responses. Uh, the human to, response, but maybe not reflecting, given the Jewish experience of anti-Semitism for generations, centuries in Europe, uh, we did a show with Linda, we've done so many of these shows on the Civil War, one with Linda Hirschman, um, The Color of Abolition, about the three, in her view, leaders of the abolitionist movement, uh, Frederick Douglass, uh, the Contessa, and, uh, and uh, um, uh, the, the founder of the abolition movement in, in the United States. None of them Jews. Um, <laughs> Adam, very well. I wouldn't say that's surprising, but what about this idea that um, that the Jews should have had a particular sensibility on abolition and slavery, given their experience uh, uh, for centuries? Uh, and secondly, if that wasn't the case, what's what's changed over the last hundred years? Because of course. In the civil rights era, very often it's um, an alliance of, of, of white Jewish activists and African-Americans that, that drove civil rights in the 1960s. These are great questions um, and, and very important questions. Uh, so certainly um, the, we, we, one would have hoped 
uh, that perhaps that the Jews would have brought with them a particular and a progressive views about abolition and about about the, what American society should be um, when they arrive. Uh, instead, I think it's, uh, many of them are arriving or coming from societies where there are a variety of forms of bondage already. They're familiar with, with the, the concept, maybe not of, of slavery, but certainly of serfdom, of indenture. Uh, so perhaps are less shocked by by slavery than than we would might uh, might might hope. Uh, likewise, in many cases, they they settle in cities in the United States, which are dominated by the Democratic Party, are dominated by uh, um, uh, immigrant politics as well, which they, they they come to embrace too. Which which again is is uh, um, weary of in many cases, or if not openly hostile to uh, Republican the Republican Party. Very concerned about about nativism, um, and and particularly the the, the fear that the Republican Party uh, might uh, have nativist elements within it. But those and are this was of course the Republican sorry. Party of the middle of the nineteenth century, exactly. which was essentially a northern party focused on uh, abolition uh, and focused on its hostility to, to to the South and to slavery. But but in particular, so those are things which I think Jews share with other many other immigrants, not all by by all means. And there are exceptions within amongst Jews too, who who feel feel they're very differently, very much in favor of the Republican Party. But also Jews have a, a particular problem with abolition politics in the United States, in that the abolitionist movement, it's it's many of its founders and its key advocates in the 1850s and and during the Civil War itself. Are individuals who are driven by uh, evangelical politics. Um, in a number of cases, these are individuals who have been involved with uh, efforts to convert Jews, to create missionary societies to convert Jews as well. And there's a real weariness of them uh, for, for this for this reason. And again, uh, you know, that's, those are particularly Jewish reasons. But other immigrants uh, also have reasons to to be somewhat skeptical of of abolitionists. Because again, they are associated um, with the temperance movement, uh, with with other uh, forms of social reform, which the immigrants believe are, are often connected with or close to to nativist or, or a nativist intent, if not in purpose. Uh, so, so, um, so, so again, when you say nativist, that sort of translates into what populism in twenty first century terms? Less populism. Uh, uh, I mean, I suppose it's it's in, in the same way that populism now often has a an anti-immigrant element to it. Uh, but in the 1850s, a real concern on the part of, of recent immigrants uh, that uh, they are unwanted in American society, that there'll be efforts to restrict immigrant rights. So hostility uh, to outsiders, hostility to immigrants. And what particularly about, to uh, immigrants, yeah. Uh, Adam, what about, I mean, we, we talk about the Jews, of course, like any other people, they can be broken down too. Was there much of a, I mean, most of the American uh, immigrants to America, uh, most of the Jewish immigrants to America was, were, were Ashkenazi from Central and Eastern Europe. But there were some Sephardic Jews coming from the Middle East with a different experience of slavery, given that, you know, slavery in the Middle East has been a much more central feature of the culture, of the politics, of the civil, call it civilization. Was there a different attitude to racism and slavery amongst Sephardic and, and Ashkenazi Jews? It's a, it's a wonderful question. And in fact, I'm at work on a, a companion volume to, to the book, which has just been published, which will focus much more, which will focus on, on Jews within the Confederacy. And this is one of the questions I, I will try to, to answer. 
Uh, certainly there is a significant an old Swadi population in the American South um, mm. with, with, with closer roots to the Caribbean, really, than, than, than to the Middle East. And, uh, the heart of slavery, are, of course, the Caribbean. Absolutely. And that's the precisely the, the, the right point that you've made in that these are people who are very comfortable with slavery in many cases for that reason. They've come from uh, slave societies. In some cases, they've fled from Haiti and, and bring all the, the concerns related to that with them to, to, uh, to Charleston, Savannah, and other places that they, they settle. Um, also, they are, uh, because they've been in the United States for longer, they're more likely to be part of the establishment, part of the elite, to be educated in America. And, and, and certainly, I think that we see a fair number of them becoming true believers in the Confederacy, those who live in, in Charleston, elite families, and, and who see the Civil War uh, in, in, in very different ways from recent immigrants who are really true believers. Let's get to the the nitty-gritty of the war, and there was a lot of nitty-gritty. It was a brutal war, Adam, and don't need me to tell you that. Was the Jewish experience in the Union Army, was it any different from the non-Jewish soldier? I mean, what, what's your what's your takeaway in the book? The Jewish experience, I mean, the Jewish involvement's interesting, but did Jewish soldiers stick together? Did they have groups, clubs, networks? Or was their experience um, indistinguishable from the experience of other soldiers in the Union uh, armies? In some ways, it is it is indistinguishable, but in, in a number of ways, it is different, particularly from that of, of other immigrant groups, um, in that because of that dispersion of Jews across the, the United States, which I, I spoke about previously, it meant that when they, when they enlisted, typically enlistment was local, that you enlisted in a regiment raised uh, in, in your, your town or, or in, in, your, your, uh, in your district somewhere close by. And this meant that often Jews were quite isolated within the regiments that they, they joined. And this is different from other ethnic groups. So we, one of the characteristics of the Union Army is that we see uh, regiments which are strongly ethnic in character. So, so you know, what are often described as German regiments or Irish uh, regiments or Scandinavian regiments of one kind or another. And we don't see that for, for Jews. That, and that, that makes a substantial difference, both in terms of their visibility. It means that Jews uh, sometimes can pass. Uh, they're less visible than a German regiment, which will, which will uh, sometimes suffer for being so observable, so visible as a, as a German regiment. There's, there's that consequence. On the other hand, that isolation means it's very difficult to be to, a Jew, to practice as a Jew, uh, to, to, to follow Judaism uh, within, within the army as well. And it also means that when there are episodes of, of anti-Semitism, of which there are plenty, um, uh, it means that also it's very difficult to, um, to respond collectively as well. That, that the experience is often that isolation uh, uh, is, is something which, which soldiers will pay a price for. Um, and, but there are efforts to, again, to create community, create connections, but it's that much more difficult because of this absence of, of ethnic regimens. Um, and, 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 and this will really uh, shape the experience of, of Jewish soldiers in ways, push the experience in different ways from, from that of, of, uh, of the typical German or Irish recruit in the army. The war itself, um, you can think of it as the first in industrial mass war. On the other, on the other hand, uh, one of the last wars of individual heroism. Were there any Jewish real heroes, people, Jewish soldiers who... Who, uh, who became um, sort of symbolic in the Union Army of the heroism in, in the war, because it still was a war, uh, unlike today in some ways, where 
individuals, human beings were more important than the, the technology they wielded. Absolutely. So, so there are um, a, a whole number of, of very interesting individuals who I deal with at, at length uh, within, within the book. And uh, some who, who start with glorious expectations, individuals who, who, are, who, who appear in a blaze of, uh, a, a blaze of glory and, and then um, ultimately are, are disappointing in one way or another. Uh, but, but many more of the opposite, that unheralded individuals uh, who who uh, rise from um, quite junior positions to, to uh, more senior positions, sometimes commanding regiments. And, and, and those are particularly interesting cases that, that for example, um, we have a wonderful set of, of letters by uh, Marcus Spiegel, who, who again is a, uh, begins the war as an obscure storekeeper in, in rural, rural Ohio, and, and, and then rises uh, rapidly uh, to ultimately um, uh, become a colonel of, of, a, of a regiment and, and writes a, a lengthy series of letters to, to his wife describing his experience and, uh, and, and a really a, a very, very evocative letters. This is a, someone who, who, who rises on the, on the strength of his abilities as an officer. Uh, and there are a number of other cases of, of this kind. For example, Edward Solomon, a, again, a, a young man who arrives in Chicago uh, just before the war, has a brief career in Chicago politics. I think he runs a hat shop as well. Um, and, and again, then uh, begins as a, as a junior officer and uh, uh, rises to become a lieutenant colonel, in effect actually commanding his regiment and, and is a highly effective commander um, uh, that uh, in a number of key battles during uh, the war, particularly during the Atlanta campaign, and then uh, in the March to the Sea, Sherman's March to the Sea, he, his, his regiment's almost sort of Zedig-like or, or I suppose Forrest Gump-like. He, he, his regiment with him in command appears at critical moments uh, to, to intercede. Um, but so clearly someone who's highly capable um, and, and uh, then after the war has a, a, a very prominent political career as well. So there are these uh, a number of individuals of this kind. We don't see in the Union Army uh, Jewish officers rising uh, during the war itself to, to uh, the rank above uh, colonel. Um, and they have a variety of reasons, I think, for, for this. The fact that unlike other ethnic groups, they are, um, we, we see a number of German officers, a number of Irish officers, for example, being elevated to senior rank. And I think in the case of Jews, is that there, there's a a complicated relationship with Jews on the home front with, with the war. And there isn't that, that sort of the lobbying, which we see certainly with, with Germans and Irish uh, officers in, in terms of in, uh, persuading, obliging the Lincoln administration to appoint uh, you know, German or Irish officers. Uh, but, but certainly a whole number of individuals who, who um, are very distinguished war records. And a number of them will then uh, win, uh, win uh, um um, a distinguished um, decorations during the war as well for, for bravery uh, for exactly the same reason. Um, but here, you know, again, there's, there's nothing in those cases particular about, about their, their Jewishness in, in any way, but they, they become certainly heroes to the community, particularly after the war. You mentioned Lincoln. We've, of course, done a number of shows about the great man, one with uh, David Reynolds, who has a major new book out, Abe, uh, Abraham Lincoln in his times. Uh, what was the Jewish attitude towards Lincoln? And, and, and perhaps as a follow-up in a more broad sense, was there a, uh, in, in a non-military sense, I mean, did the Jewish community, particularly through its soldiers in the war, 
did they come out of the victory of the Civil War differently, thinking differently about America, about slavery, about race, about the South, than, than when they went into the war? So your second question, I think the answer is undoubtedly yes. And, and, and this is typical of, of veterans uh, more broadly, that, that a number of those who begin the war as firm Democrats, they, their politics shift in the war. They, they, they really come to see, uh, even before Lincoln's assassination, come to, to uh, really understand uh, the war differently than, than how, how, the, how they understood the war when the war uh, started. Um, and, and, and likewise, you know, a, 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 in some cases, some Jews becoming involved in interesting ways in post-war politics, uh, too. Um, in terms of, of Jewish, the relationship of Jews with uh, Lincoln and the Republican Party before the war, there's a wonderful book on this uh, called Lincoln and the Jews, which, which discusses this at, at length and looks at of the course. relationship. Um, absolutely. Adam, who, 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 there has to be a book, Lincoln and the Jews. It's absolutely. Book on um, everything and the Jews, right? So <laughs> I need to get that order. Who, who wrote it? It's, it's a co-authored book by uh, Jonathan D. Sarner and, and Benjamin Chappelle. It's a beautiful book um, and, and collects and, and displays a whole variety of, of uh, wonderful documents and, and photographs and, uh, as well. And uh, it's um, what it demonstrates is that, yes, Lincoln does have a variety of, of, of interesting associations, relationships with, with Jews uh, prior to, to the war. And Lincoln also understands very clearly the importance of, of catering to and taking account of immigrant communities during the war itself. Uh, I've already suggested to you how he, how he and his administration are very careful in terms of, of how they deal with the Irish and German communities. The same when it comes to, to Jews, and that the book demonstrates that very, very uh, well. Uh, but at the same time, Jews have a complicated set of, of, of interactions and relationships with, with Lincoln, uh, too, uh, that there, prior to the war, there's, again, ambivalence for some of the reasons I've, I've described. Um, and a number of, again, individuals who, who later will think very differently about Lincoln, a number of very prominent rabbis, for example, who are scornful of Lincoln uh, in, uh, in, in before the war, during the war as well, later will, will change their mind about, about Lincoln. And again, it's, it's for a whole variety of reasons, some of which I've, I've already suggested to you, that some of it relates to this real ambivalence about the Emancipation Proclamation, about the effects and, and the potential effects of, of emancipation and abolitionism on, uh, on, on the, the position of, of Jews in American society. Again, Jews here are not that different from, uh, from other um, white immigrant groups to America. Well, that's good. Let's end with, with a little bit of a discussion on dead Jews. Uh, Dara Horn has been on the show. She wrote a wonderful book, uh, People Love Dead Jews, report from a haunted present about the Holocaust experience and how we think of it. Um, obviously very different from the experience of um, of the Jews who fought in the American Civil War. Um, I found a piece on a, a Jewish perspective on Arlington's Confederate mm -hmm. Memorial. I'm sure the same is true on, on the unions. What about the Jews, the dead Jews uh, in the war? Have, should we remember them in a, in a Jewish way, Adam? I mean, how do the Jews remember them as Jewish soldiers, as Union soldiers, as both? And, and, and should we... Should we uh, or should American Jews in particular, should they show them as the symbol of somehow the Jewish people's commitment to a country that some people believe uh, Jews are ambivalent about? 
So it's, it's really a great question. And, and I, I deal with, with precisely this question of, of um, memory and commemoration in, in, in one of the uh, final chapters of the book. Um, so, and, and what adds, I suppose, an additional layer to your question too, is that one of the most prominent um, memorials, Confederate memorials at Arlington Cemetery is by a Jewish artist by the name of Moses Ezekiel, uh, who, who is um, uh, uh, um, uh, well regarded in the, in the Gilded Age in particular. I have a colleague, Samantha Baskin, who's, who's written about and is writing about or published a book about, about Moses Ezekiel. And um, uh, what, what makes him complicated today is that he's a, one of the sculptors of the Lost Cause. Uh, he's someone who, who uh, he, he, he himself serves in the Confederate Army and, and then will glorify um, you know, the, the South and the Lost Cause after the war. And it's reflected in his, his sculptures uh, too. So it adds an interesting dimension. But, but in a way, I think that's, that's, a, that's a distraction from the, the core part of your question is that which is about um, how, how do Jews uh, remember uh, the war and how should they remember the war? Uh, so, so what's interesting about it, one of the striking things I, find, I found in my research and then wrote, wrote about and tried to explain in the book is that after the war, Jews are actually, despite the fact that there are plenty of, of Jews who have served and there are plenty of veterans uh, in Jewish society in America, that most Jewish Americans are actually very reluctant to talk about the war uh, for decades afterwards. And this is in part because one of the, the things which happens during the war is the emergence of new forms of very, very troubling anti-Semitism in, in American society, uh, that Jews during the war are accused of being shirkers and smugglers, of being speculators, having profiteered from the war. And I argue in the book that this really generates new forms of, of American anti-Semitism, really creates the foundations of what we regard today as modern American anti-Semitism. And so there's real uh, concern with, with how the war uh, should be remembered and a desire really to move on on the part of, of broader um, American Jewish society. And I argue that really it's only later in the century, really only in the 1890s, uh, that the Jewish community recalls the war. And, and it does, in fact, in, for an interesting reason, is that they are being accused in the 1890s by a number of very prominent uh, American uh, writers and historians and others of being disloyal, uh, of the, the new wave of uh, immigrants arriving, Jews from Eastern Europe, from the Russian Empire, arriving in vast numbers in the 1880s and 1890s. The argument is made that these, these newcomers can never properly become American citizens, that Jews intrinsically uh, cannot be proper patriots, that they, they are, um, uh, and, 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 that, and the um, counter to this then becomes an effort to demonstrate uh, that Jews have been patriots and, and the, the Case number one, which is presented, is Jewish service in the Civil War. So we see a very large book which is produced and a number of speeches which are made and, and a fuss made about Jewish service in the Civil War, really for the first time on a significant scale since the war itself. Uh, and much of our American Jewish memory of the war, how Jews think about the war and frame the war, comes from the 1890s as opposed to from what you know, veterans themselves have, have said and written uh, after 1865. Uh, so and it's really a, a largely an apologetic literature. It's one trying to demonstrate that that Jews have served in disproportion to their number, out of proportion to their number in in the war. And what it, it does something fascinating as well. This is a moment when there is an effort for, uh, towards recon reconciliation between North and South to to say America has moved on. The United States is, has has uh, moved on from the war and is in fact some argue better for having fought the war. 
and um, that um, Jews play into this as well, that, that we see the celebration after the 1890s of both Jews who fought for the Union and the Confederacy. Uh, so, so any ambivalence or shame or otherwise about uh, Jewish Confederates has, has disappeared by this point in time. So we see you know, these, these books and monuments extolling uh, both uh, you know, Jews who fought on both sides, which is, again, if you think about it, a, a, fascinating, a fascinating thing. Likewise, we see the resurrection of, of Judah P. Benjamin as a Jewish hero. Again, there have been all sorts of reasons to be very, very ambivalent about, you know, Jew had, had this very, very senior role within the Confederate cabinet. He's been, you know, effectively in a Secretary of State. He's briefly Secretary of War in the Confederacy. Uh, he's been Attorney General in the, in the Confederacy, and he becomes a Jewish hero uh, yeah, it's fascinating. It's, it's fascinating stuff. It's so complicated on so many levels. Jewish soldiers in the Civil War, the Union Army um, by Adam Mendelssohn, a really intriguing new book on, a, on, a, on, a, on an experience that most of us don't know much about. What about the universal lessons? Um, Adam, you, you, you're based in South Africa. You're South African. You teach at the University of Cape Town. Obviously, South Africa has its own history of race and of racism. And the Jews of South Africa have, uh, in some ways, distinguished themselves by their commitment to civil rights. Is there a more universal lesson, particularly in the South African context where you live and work? It's a, it's a very interesting question. And, and much of my earlier work actually tried to draw comparisons between the South and South Africa to think about how Jews have responded to living in, in racialized societies, how they respond to uh, apartheid and, and, and segregation, for, for example. And uh, but, I, but I draw a somewhat somewhat different uh, lesson, uh, one which is more universal than I suppose there is a South African dimension to it, which is the complexities of minorities, in particular, in living in moments of political polarization, uh, and which which is very much our present. That uh, we, we're living in a moment. I don't need to tell anyone a moment where where the political spectrum is is deeply divided, where there's an absence of trust. And I think that this puts, as we've seen, unfortunately, with the resurgence of anti-Semitism and, and other forms of racism in American society over the last number of years, these moments place particular, pose particular challenges for minority groups, uh, that it's not easy, uh, as the Civil War period uh, demonstrates. And, and uh, though we might, as we discussed, we might hope that, 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 that Jews, at least if your politics are progressive, you might hope that Jews would, would you know, it, as in the the Civil War years all been abolitionists, uh, but, but we're not for complicated reasons. I think we need to apply that same reasoning to the present as well, that, that these are, and you know, Jews are, are making complicated decisions as are other minority groups and are themselves uh, you know, dealing with, with you know, unpredictable times. It is indeed a complicated world. That's what historians, of course, will always tell us. That's why they're so valuable. Uh, congratulations again, uh, Adam uh, Mendelssohn, on your new book, uh, Jewish Soldiers in the Civil War, The Union Army. Any other suggestions of further reading, Adam, on, on the Jews, on the Civil War or otherwise? Uh, so the, the, the books which, which I, I return to uh, repeatedly, and, and those, those who haven't read it, uh, uh, one of which uh, is... Um, Ulysses Grant's uh, uh, classic personal memoirs that, that still is a page turner. I had to spy, you know, it's, it's published, uh, you know, uh, now uh, 140 or so years ago. Um, and, and a wonderful account to really understand the complexities of, of the war through, through the, you know, the Union's most famous general, the man who then becomes a, a president uh, after, after the war. 
And uh, so as, and as I described, it's, it's um, very, very evocative. You get the sense of, of the, uh, we've used the word complexity a lot, but the complexity of, of wartime and, and how uh, a, a, a leading figure understands uh, the, the, you know, balancing these many, many demands on, uh, on, on his time and attention. Um, so certainly I, I highly recommend that to, to those, and I've you know, recently reread it, uh, the, the other book, which, which is a really wonderful book about, about the Civil War, uh, is, is um, by Peter Carmichael, uh, a historian uh, in Gettysburg, Gettysburg College, uh, called the, the War for the Common Soldier. Again, trying to understand everyday experience of, of soldiers, what's in their minds during the war, and how does their thinking change during the war? Now, I found it a, a book which is very, very helpful in my own research uh, as well.